0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by Express News UTSA beat writer Greg Luca. He joins the show today to talk about all things UTSA sports. Welcome back to the show, Greg. It's been a while. It's good to have you back.
1: Yeah, thanks, Luis. I love being here. It's always good to get to talk about what's going on with UTSA and some other sports in the area in this kind of a format, so it'll be nice.
0: No, definitely. I love having you on the show. And the first thing I really wanted to touch on was something that happened towards the end of last year, which was that Jeff Trailer won the Express News Sportsman of the Year.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because... You know, we think about the wide range of San Antonio sports and all the possibilities, but he still seemed kinda of like a no brainer, I bet, for a lot of people who were involved in this decision. And it's just crazy to think the the extent to which UTSA athletics and UTSA football specifically It's kind of risen in the consciousness of San Antonio this year, the way it's become a key part of the sports landscape and something that people think about when they think about San Antonio sports, not that they're ahead of the Spurs by any means, but they're, you know, approaching that kind of a level just in terms of interest and how much it drives engagement and things like that. And, you know, Jeff Traylor is the guy who took the program from where it was before to where it is now. And I think when he was hired in, in December 2019, there's all this talk about how far the program has to go to be. Similar to what, you know, Houston is in Houston or what SMU is in Dallas and, and they've taken a lot of steps in that direction, whether it's, you can look at the attendance numbers, obviously the product on the field makes a huge difference. We're going to talk about the recruiting and the level of talent they're able to bring in and it all just kind of stems from trailer and the, the culture and the, the, just the atmosphere that he's brought to this program in the way that it's kind of transformed things. So for someone to have that big of an impact, you understand why they would be considered for for an award like that that goes out to potentially anybody in the sports landscape in San Antonio.
0: Yeah, definitely. From one year to the next, they just, it seems like they grew by leaps and bounds. uh, A completely different team almost seemingly overnight.
1: Yeah, it was good to go from three or four wins in the years before he got here to that seven and five season that kind of started them on the right track. And then this year to be 11 and 0 and nationally ranked just things that we didn't think would be possible, maybe in the near future, certainly, but if not, even for a while to get to that level for a program that is still, you know, within the first 10 or 12 years of its of its infancy. So to see that he made that leap that drastically is where people start to turn their head and say, wow, we we thought that this might be possible you know, someday just because of the, the size of the market and some of the engagement in the program and as the alumni base builds and all of that stuff. But for that to happen just immediately and all of the things that come along with that, whether it's the jump to the American Athletic Conference and Trailers' contract extension and the, the monumental commitment that the program made to keep him here for as long as possible, it's all these checkpoints that they're hitting so much faster than you would have thought that they would be able to.
0: Yeah, and I guess now we should move on to talking about signing day. Because last season is last season, and I'm sure this team is looking to the future already to see how they can improve. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, signing day?
1: Yeah, so the signing day was a really interesting time because of all the things that we just talked about. and it turns it's about how are those successes and those strides going to translate into the level of commitment that UTSA brings in. And you you know, as much as we talk about how this season was unexpected and all these leaps forward were something we couldn't have predicted. There are some people in that building who thought that there'd be something along this lines, maybe not to this level, but something along this lines. Because early in the recruiting cycle, which you know you could start as early as fall, uh, two years ahead, basically recruiting guys for the next class. And some of these bigger programs are are looking out even farther than that at some of the, you know freshmen and sophomores who are out there and trying to get lined up to be in position to bring them in someday, but for UTSA, they started very slow with this class of 2022. They were not bringing in a lot of guys or looking at a lot of different guys. And they figured, you know, if we have this huge season on the field, it's going to open doors to to players that typically wouldn't have given us the time of day or wouldn't have been that interested in coming to UTSA. And so they kind of bet on themselves a little bit by not sending out a bunch of offers that they didn't eventually want to have to fill because they thought they could get better players, if that makes sense. So, When the season played out the way it did, it became a question of, okay, so now you've accomplished that goal that you had of of putting yourself on more people's radar by having a strong showing. What is that going to translate into in terms of the quality of commit that you bring in? And you see it right away with this class. It's the highest rated class that UTSA has ever brought in per 24-7 sports, who they do these composite ratings that look at the different recruiting sites and how they rate the players. And they boil it down to one number. And they can basically average or composite all of the guys for each school, and they give you a ranking. And UTSA has the highest, you know, raw number that they've ever produced as a program. They Mm -hmm. rank third in the current Conference USA, and they rank fifth among the teams who are set to move to the American Athletic Conference with the current round of realignment that they have going on right now. And so we can talk about two guys in particular, the two highest rated guys they've ever brought in. Uh, in the in the early signing period, in December, they brought in Owen Peewee. He's a linebacker from from Cy Park in Cyprus. And then here in the February signing day, they brought in Zay Frazier. He's a cornerback from Coffeyville uh, Community College uh, from JUCO ranks. And he's actually an interesting story as well because he originally committed to Kentucky and then... You know, it's very hard to know exactly what happened, but he ended up just, you know, posting on social media, hey, I'm actually not going to enroll at Kentucky. And then next day he was uh, committed to UTSA and then February comes and he was the first one to sign at like 7.03 a.m., like right right on the dot. So th- it was really interesting to see w- how that kind of flipped from signing at Kentucky to getting out of that. And I guess he had to go through it like a transfer um but this is sort of an, un, an unusual circumstance so we're not exactly sure how it played out behind the scenes or what his motivations were but at the end of the day it means that you has another uh you know six four cornerback here who they think is going to be kind of a lockdown guy and can make a big difference for them so those are the two big ones that stand out but they feel like you know all around all across the board whether it's there are a bunch of high school kids they've kept it entirely texas as always They've brought in a few different uh, junior college transfers who are going to be more ready to try to provide some help right away, and then a couple of um, of transfers coming in. They have Chris Carpenter from Colorado and uh, offensive lineman from Northwestern. So, really, they've they've like most schools will do. They've hit all the way across the board. I believe it was twenty one total guys, which gives them, I think, uh, four or five open spots for bringing in different transfers or or grad transfers through the spring and through the summer just to kind of add to the roster with maybe somebody who's not available or who you didn't think would be available who kind of jumps out on your radar and you say, we got to get this guy. So they left themselves a little bit of flexibility too. Probably going to be looking at corner, uh, maybe some maybe some extra help in the trenches. Uh, I think they need a safety and a linebacker as well were the ones that, that trailer highlighted. So we'll see what they do with these extra spots that they have, but already it's off to a great start.
0: You also wrote earlier this week about a, um, a four-star linebacker, Martavius French. What, what can you tell me about him?
1: Oh yeah, that's true. I almost forgot about that one. He was a late addition to the class. He came technically. He came from Hutchinson Community College, and he was a four-star out of high school. So what happened was he went to uh, he went to Tennessee. He didn't play. And then there was actually a situation where he was uh, arrested on some misdemeanor drug charges. Uh, I believe it was last spring. Uh, so then he ended up going into the transfer portal, didn't end up at another four-year school. So he went down to, to junior college and now UTSA is the team that chose to give him a second chance. And so he'll be coming aboard as well. So yeah, that, he's certainly a big talent. Um, a lot of You see a lot of times with these guys uh, who are rated highly at the high school level and then go to college and don't necessarily produce that they don't. They don't get re-rated or regraded, so they kind of keep that four-star rating. So it's a little bit different. And uh, he, you know, he's not going to be ranking in terms of the program's strongest all-time recruits the same way those other guys are, just because it's a junior college situation. But uh, if he was, he'd certainly be in the mix because it's not. It's not every day that they get a true four-star guy. So yeah, that's definitely one to keep an eye on as well.
0: You also wrote earlier this month, I believe, about another UTSA alum. Tariq Woolen, who participated in the Senior Bowl.
1: Yeah, it's actually two of them. It's Tariq Woolen and it's the offensive lineman uh, Spencer Burford as well. And it's crazy because, you know, UTSA, we talked about how young the program is and how they're achieving things they've never achieved before. They had only ever had one guy come through this kind of Senior Bowl postseason pre NFL showcase, and that was Marcus Davenport, who obviously ended up being a first round pick. So, now to have two guys go through that speaks to the way the talent level is rising in the program and, and what they accomplished this season but it's also just kind of a novelty here still to see what this process is all about and kind of follow it on that path to the pros so we saw that Tariq and spencer both went to it's in mobile alabama and a lot of the benefit of it is not necessarily the senior bowl game itself but it's these practices through the week where they they bring in these talent from the top senior players from all across the country and they work with NFL coaching staffs, two of, the, two of the weaker teams who are going to be up higher in the draft. It was the Jets staff was with one team and the Lions staff was with the other team. And so these guys like Tariq and Spencer, they get to line up and do all these one-on-one drills during the week against other their top guys. And just kind of, it's like a week-long tryout, essentially, to sort of show what you got and how you stack up against a lot of the other top players nationally to see where you deserve to go in the NFL draft. And when the game came, it was kind of quiet. I think Tariq played about maybe a dozen snaps. It really it really didn't seem like it was that many, And then, but he wasn't targeted, and he didn't. they didn't really go at him at all, so he didn't have much of a chance to make a play. And then uh, Spencer held up well at, other, at some times, and then there was one play where he gave up a sack and another one where he had a holding call. So maybe not a day that, that shot up his draft stock a ton, but certainly I don't think he hurt himself too much. And it'll be interesting to see how those guys, as well as uh, sincere McCormick, who's uh, coming out as a junior, and that's why he was not part of the senior bowl, Uh, running back sincere McCormick and those two will all be at the NFL combine starting March 1st. So that's kind of the next step for them to see where, you know, what is their 40 yard dash time look like? And what is their broad jump look like? And all these things that that showcase their athleticism and and what they can bring potentially to the next level, how projectable they are, where these teams feel like, Hey, if we get our hands on those guys, we can kind of mold them into something that is like what we want to see. And really could be a special player for us.
0: See that's that's really interesting the um, the senior bowl, I mean, it seems to me like it was uh, basically a scouting event. Was it was it televised?
1: Yeah, it was on the NFL Network. So basically, it's tough because they're they're rotating through so many guys. You know, they have it was basically almost it felt like it was three teams essentially on each side. So you know, you might play one third of the snaps or so. Uh, Spencer Burford started, so he was out there quite a bit. Um, And like I said, Tariq, you know, he got to play some on special teams, too, because that's the other part that's important to remember is, especially if you're going to the NFL level and you are potentially, you know, on a fringe roster guy at this point, uh, you're going to play some special teams. You're going to cover kicks. You're going to cover punts. You're going to be on these return teams. And so he got to do some of that as well. So, you know, it's just a good it's a good chance to just show everybody there what you have. Maybe you you stick out to one of those coaching staffs. But obviously the whole league is watching that game pretty closely, too.
0: See, that's pretty awesome. I, I feel like that's where you'd probably find all your journeymen, NFL players.
1: Yeah, certainly you could find a lot of guys like that through there. I mean, because a lot of the the top talents are coming out as juniors necessarily. So sometimes you have these guys who are really, really good and surefire picks at the top of the draft who aren't in the senior bowl mix. So it is a little bit more of a spotlight for maybe, you know, Tariq, it seems like he's going to go potentially in the first three rounds. There's a lot of buzz around him at the moment. Um, and that'll change a lot between now and then. I don't want anybody to hold me to that. But the Spencer seems like a guy who is more towards the later end of the draft and is, is, is going to be really pushing to try to find a spot rather than a surefire thing. And so it's a it's a spot like the senior bowl where you're able to, to be able to show yourself without having to stand out against some of those underclassmen who might outshine you or you have a little bit more of the spotlight for yourself for that week.
0: And I know that UTSA really sucks the oxygen out of the room in terms of sports in a good way, obviously, they are doing amazing. (laughs) But before we moved on to another sport, I wanted to talk about UIW football and what they've been, uh, what they have going on.
1: Yeah, sure. They hired uh, G.J. Kinney. He's from, uh, he was the offensive coordinator at UCF. And very interesting hire. It's another, you know, kind of like Eric Morris before, it's kind of a young, up and coming offensive mind. And you know, I haven't really gotten a chance to learn a whole lot about him or spend a lot of time with him, but we saw on signing day that they were able to, to put a pretty good class together in pretty short order where they feel like the talent they have is going to keep the program moving forward. And, you know, that's the challenge there because with Morris and with quarterback Cam Ward, they had so much going for them and it it was, they were coming off the best season they'd ever put together. Now Morris leaves to be the offensive coordinator of Washington state and and cam ward follows him so he'll be the quarterback at washington state as well so you know this is a similar situation that we saw utsa went up against this last year with uh with western kentucky where bailey zappi was the quarterback there and he came from houston baptist and they also brought over his offensive coordinator and they brought over uh, their top receiver from houston baptist as well so the you know washington state's trying to do that similar thing at the expense of at the of uiw so now the challenge there is what do they do to try to keep things rolling and And so with the first recruiting class, they brought in this transfer quarterback from Nichols, uh, Lindsey Scott, who's a guy that they've played against before a few times because he's been in the league with them. And he's a, you know, he's five foot 11, 220 pounds. They say he moves like a running back, but he's got a strong arm and he can get the ball out quickly. And it's presuming based on what else is on the roster that he's going to be the next quarterback there. And he's proven that he can play at a high level in this league. He was a all conference player. I think he was an honorable mention last year and might've been even higher ranked the year before that. So he's a guy that is going to probably take the reins of the offense here. And they say he's fitting in really well already being on campus and kind of getting acclimated. So we'll see how that plays out and what that means for them, trying to keep the momentum going forward obviously you don't just replace uh, Eric Morris and Cam Ward just with the snap of your fingers but it's at least something that can keep this program from plummeting and feeling like we don't know who the quarterback's going to be and we have all these issues that we're not able to to handle so it's something that it's a, at least a good stopgap while they kind of rebuild and potentially find a guy for the future who's going to be around a little bit longer than a, an older transfer player like Lindsay and it's 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 worth talking about and i meant to mention this before as well but you see with the way college football works nowadays with the one-time transfer exception where in the past, players who wanted to transfer had to sit out a year. And so that was kind of a deterrent to switching schools as often as as people are now, where that that exception no longer exists for your first transfer. So you, you're a guy like Lindsey Scott and you want to play for UIW and you just jump over there and do it. And it's very easy. And the other thing that's always in play with recruiting and probably not so much at UIW, but I think whether you want to talk about Zay Frazier's situation at UTSA was potentially involved in this and every other recruiting situation around the country, it's, it's all about the name, image and likeness deals at this point. And I think it's something that colleges and the NCAA are talking about wanting to regulate and coaches seem a little bit, I don't know, I don't want to say distraught, that's probably a bit much, but they're thrown off by the way that this impacts the recruiting process where you're pitching these kids who are either high school or junior college players. And part of your pitch is not just, you know, here's what the team looks like and here's our facilities and here's playing time, but it's what can you make That you can put in your pocket for nil money just to benefit yourself which was never a part of the equation before last year so that's really changed the way a lot of recruiting works and when you see guys either flipping their commitments at the last minute or when you see guys maybe showing up somewhere and not getting what they were promised and entering the transfer portal a lot of it traces back to that nil stuff so that's something that's always important to keep an eye on in recruiting and You know, for UTSA, it's tough because their alumni base is a lot younger and they haven't been around as long, especially as a football program. So they don't necessarily have that institutional money to throw at a lot of uh, high school or junior college prospects. And that's something that I believe there's some people in the area who are working on it. There's a couple different uh, quote unquote, like NIL collectives, I believe they're calling them, where it's just like a group of boosters and supporters who are willing to throw their money into a pot that as the need arises, they can sort of direct it to whatever players might need to to get on the level that they feel like they deserve to be to either stay here or come here and then there's the the component of just guys who who switch schools and and you don't know where they're going to end up next and how much of that traces back to nil and for a place like uiw you know they probably don't have anything to really throw at at these at these recruits the the program is and there's a that's the case for a lot of fcs schools it's not like they're going to be in their own league on that one, but it's just like the, those ones are probably a little bit closer to the traditional recruiting. But if if anybody at that level can find some money to throw at somebody, then then certainly that would make a big impact as well. So we'll see, maybe next year, it'll be a different conversation. There might be some new legislation or the way that that works changes. But for now, that's kind of a big driver in recruiting as well. I wanted to make sure we touched on before we moved out football.
0: Yeah, as far as that NIL stuff, there's definitely gonna be a lot of growing pains. Coaches, players, programs—they're going to have to deal with a whole new set of problems, and I'm sure we'll we'll be there to talk about that stuff too.
1: Yeah, it's not going anywhere. It doesn't seem like.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so let's move on to UTSA basketball, which you've been covering, and uh, it doesn't look great. It's uh, it's not, not great. Like, no, uh, no, I'll not let you at go all. ahead and talk about that.
1: Well, at this point, as we're recording it, they're eight and seventeen overall, and they're one and eleven in conference USA. And it's interesting because coming into this year, you knew it was going to be a different kind of situation because they were losing the program's two all-time scoring leaders. In Keaton Wallace and Javon Jackson, who had scored more points than anybody in the history of UTSA basketball, and you know Keaton's in the in the G League right now, uh, trying to work his way up to the NBA, and has been playing pretty well. He's uh, I think he's averaging close to twenty points a game, which is in for the for Los Angeles. But Javon, I think, is still hasn't really caught on in the pros yet. He's uh, he was rehabbing a shoulder issue, I believe, after the season, and so he's still working to get to that level. But the the point being of, of laying that out is that you know, they were guys who were taking a lot of shots and were the real drivers of offense here, but it wasn't like they were, you know, lottery picks who were going to be surefire top level talents in the NBA. So there was probably some level of thinking of these guys aren't the most efficient players, maybe they don't shoot the best percentage. And so if you lose them and you redistribute those shots somewhere else, can the offense continue to click at a pretty high level? Because Again, it's not like they're putting up these outrageous shooting percentages even if the scoring numbers are through the roof. So and then it just turned out this year that there's nobody on the roster who can who can even match that they're what they were doing from a from a shooting percentage standpoint and UTSA right now ranks I think 3rd to last nationally in a stat called effective field goal percentage and that's not that hard to understand. Basically, it's, you know, a field goal percentage is the percentage of your shots that you make. And so effective field goal percentage counts threes as one and a half since they're worth, you know, three points instead of two. So it's just your overall shooting, how good you are. And they're very nearly the worst team in all of division one basketball. And it's been difficult for a lot of different reasons. One is because when you have two guys like Keaton and Javon who take as many shots as they did, obviously the other guys on the roster just aren't as experienced with creating their own shots. And they haven't had the opportunity to really play on their own or be put in a situation where it's late in the shot clock and you have to make something happen. And, and you're the guy that the team is leaning on, but also they've had just interesting situations this year with like, for example, uh, Dill Dang, one of their leading scorers, he was off the team for a couple of weeks because he just decided around the holiday break that he, you know, if they didn't like playing college basketball and wanted to try to play professionally. And then he decided, you know what, actually I do want to continue to play college basketball. And he came back. And part of that is probably because the team is struggling. And then, you no, know, Cedric Alley is going to be out for the year. That's uh, reportedly that's an academic issue. Uh, he was one of their top players, and especially on the defensive end and rebounding. And then Jordan Ivey Curry, who was in their other leading scorer, kind of the point guard of the team. He's he also missed some time because of different um, COVID quarantine situations. So not only have they been struggling when they're at full strength, but they haven't been at full strength very often either. So it's kind of all contributed to the situation where they are just one of the weaker teams in all of Conference USA, and they have a lot of questions to answer on this offensive end and. I don't know. I think it just comes down to they need to bring in some, some higher level scoring talent, some guys who are more comfortable with the ball in their hands and can play off of each other and, and can make something happen. Because right now they have a few guys who are that way, but there's a lot of guys who really don't kind of look for their own shots. And maybe they got used to playing with guys like Keaton and Javon who are able to, to control the offense and, and leave them to do other things on their own.
0: And even though UTSA is struggling with its basketball program right now, there are other programs in the city. Are there. Any other programs you'd like to talk about?
1: Yeah, there's obviously there's so many colleges around here who are who are going at this time of the year. And, you know, UTSA's Women is one to keep an eye on because they brought in uh, Coach Karen Aston, formerly of Texas, uh, you know, a name a lot of people recognize. And they are not necessarily doing great, but from where they were before, where they were only winning two or three games in a season, I believe they have five wins right now. So just signs of progress. And she was able to bring in some of her players and, you know, they hope they hope that they're kind of meshing to her style and sort of building an identity. Um, and the other ones to watch in the area, there's a lot of these teams who are struggling but Texas States men, they're in the mix near the top of the Sun Belt. So that's one to keep an eye on. And they have a very senior lineup and potentially could make some noise later in the season. And then uh, Trinity actually is doing quite well. And their, their men's and women's teams are typically very good. But the women actually just set a program record with 18 straight wins. And they set a bunch of single game records as well this season. And men's team is on a roll too. So they'll, they'll be one to keep an eye on at the conference tournaments later this month.
0: And I think that's a pretty good place to end it for today. I know I've already kept you for way too long. I always appreciate you coming on the show, Greg. Thanks for stopping by.
1: Yeah, I'd love to come on. So anytime you want to have me.